Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is number 54, and it, this one's going to have us flying off the rails a little bit. We also promise that number 55 on Hammers of Misfortune won't be long behind it. So, Holver, uh, sorry, oh, I, I, called you Holver. Hol, I called you Holver. <laughs> Dude, I think that that's my new name. I want to be Holver now. You Well, why not, do That works, man. Holver. Holver again. Holver Holver again. again. The, the radish. So last time we left off radish, I had assigned something to you and life got in the way, as they say. And it's been a while. So good to hear you. You sound fantastic. Your, your lisp is gone, it sounds like. Good to, good to be heard. Yes. There's nothing more distracting and a little bit upsetting than a, a radish with a lisp. <laughs> I am a lispless radish now. Sweet. Yeah, so I gave you an assignment, and I and until this morning, three weeks later, at least three weeks, I think, since we recorded it's the about three weeks, Edwin's yeah. End a Virus show, it's been a while. And until this morning, I didn't know what you would come up with, and that the assignment basically was to come up with seven degrees of separation of one Norwegian musician to another, take a very circuitous route if you need to. You can even go outside of Norway, uh, but you got to get back to Norway. And I wanted you to try to take it as far as you could. So you fucking, I got to say, we're not going to reveal it early, but you, you were up to the task. In a manner of speaking, we'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm going to have you talk about your process and, and start us off here in a second. Then we're going to swerve pretty far left and dedicate about 12 minutes or so to German drummer Uli Kusch, who is not dead. Uh, we don't know when his birthday is, and there's no significant anniversary tied into this or any of the albums we're featuring or whatever uh we'll be short it was going to be a 0.5 but i think we want to tack it onto this episode so it's just going to be a little bit of, uh, of this and that i want to mention something this is not a paid sponsorship of any sort but i, I got to mention for a few minutes this book called wolves evolve the Ulver story now Ulver is a huge band for us episode one we covered their fourth album in depth and we like to think of ourselves as a Norwegian podcast. So I, I got this book along with the Flowers of Evil CD a couple of weeks ago. And um, I don't want to overstate stuff. And you haven't seen this yet, but I've been sending you responses and pictures and just accolades and links to buy it because it's, it's just incredible. It really is already a top three or five book for me in terms of like literature on a band that I love. So you haven't seen this yet, but is this something that's on your to-buy list? Because I'm just, I'm banging down your door. I really think it ought to be. Yeah, the next discretionary $45 that I have will be spent on Wolves Evolve. Yeah. Like you say, you know, this, this entire podcast, enterprise, project, whatever, began as, you know, an exploration of Norwegian metal. And I, and I believe, in fact, that, I mean, back in 2015, when we started to sort of entertain the idea of doing a book or doing something, mm -hmm. that we were going to begin with Ulver anyway. Yeah. Um, and they're one of our favorite bands of all time. At this point, they're like nine different bands in one, you know? And, and um, to hear the story told so cogently, I have to mention, you know, this, this guy named uh, Tora Engelson Espadal. I'm probably wrecking that. He did this with Ulver and they did it over a period of years because they first wanted to do it for, you know, some demarcation of time in their history. Then they pushed it five years and now they pushed it to now it's being released. So it's a conversations over several years about every single aspect of Ulver by some very thoughtful people involved in the band. Obviously, primary is Garm, but lots of others. And 
I'm 60 pages in and I, I just can't do anything but think about it. I dreamed about it last night after my first 30 pages. I'm taking it slowly <laughs> because it's also very visual. There are pictures in here that I just drew, the over fan of me has just dreamed of and probably didn't think existed. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just that fantastic. I can't, I can't sell it enough. I can't recommend it enough. So um, maybe we'll post a link in our show notes. I think it's important. Uh, I think a book like this is important. It makes me aspire to make my books better and more like this. It makes me feel two feet tall. Kind of like when you watch General Giant play live. Why do you always have to bring that up? It was the best moment of seeing a great musician wither in the presence of another one. You know? I've, been, I've been having a pretty good them. week here, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're 41 now, buddy. Life's life's a bitch. Okay, yeah, indeed it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, so that's that. Now let's get back to the seven degrees of separation in Norway. Okay. Tell me, tell me about your process and like what what you were trying to achieve with this thing, because the way it unfolds is pretty hilarious. Um, well, and it, it it turned out being a little more than seven. O- originally, I was sort of sticking to. I, I guess I kind of wanted to go from maybe like primitive black metal or maybe like one of the early death metal phases of what would become a Norwegian black metal band toward, you know, that sort of, you know, progressive Vedwins and uh, Fluidy Beyond Dawn thing that started to really happen in the mid 90s. So that, that was my original process. But it's, it's, I got kind of bored with that pretty quickly. And I started to think, well, you know, there are a lot of Norwegian, you know, hard rock, rock bands, you know, so on and so forth. And TNT is one of our, uh, collectively, one of our favorite hard rock bands. Gods with Harnell in front, let's just say it that way. Yes, yes. When they don't have Harnell, I've noticed that Letecro just can't write. (laughs) He he really can't. It's weird. I I know. I know. No, I, it, Harnell is his muse. I mean, I clearly. So. Yeah. So I decided to dig into <laughs> to, to TNT a little bit because, I mean, they, they have a, you know, an extensive membership. The guys in that band have all been involved in a lot of different things over the years. <laughs> so in the course of my research, I um, was digging through the work of Morty Black, their, um, their probably most well-known bass player. Oh, yeah. Origi- I, I, if not original member, certainly. He's, mem- he yeah, he's from the classic early days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he, he's not an original member, but he, I think he joined in 83 or 84. Wow. Okay. Um, so pr- pretty, pretty much. As long as he was on Knights of the New Thunder and then tons of stuff later, which he was. Then which he was. With Harnell and, and obviously Latecro. Yeah. It, it's good enough for me. So I'm digging into the back catalog of, uh, of Marty, Marty Black. The selected works of Marty Black. The selected works, indeed. <laughs> and I discover that, and this was unbeknownst to me, that he, he's apparently a very, very accomplished session musician. Okay, and, you're not going uh, to spoil for the listeners, are you? No. Okay. No. Um, it, but he, he's played with uh, he, he played with Terry Ripdahl, um, the the great great Norwegian jazz guitarist who recorded um, 
pretty voluminously for ECM, for ECM back in the 70s. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted uh, you for ECM. Did we say ECM? Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, we did. It's fine. Jinx. <laughs> Bye, um, <Nico>. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and a number of, you know, pop and rock acts beyond that. And I found something truly shocking in his past. And once I found that, the entire thing was recast. And it became really just a matter of getting from the sort of nascent black metal scene to this moment in Morty Black's career. And I don't know if you want to go ahead and dig in at this point. Uh, yeah. So to recap, I think you, you went from Ivar Bjornsson to Morty Black in Seven Steps. And at some point you veer far outside of Norway, but you, then you bring it right back in. That's where we're going to start. So you start with Ivar Bjornsson. Obviously, he's best known for being the guitarist in Enslaved who started the band when he was like 11 or some ridiculous age. <laughs> we've marveled at this many times in our friendship. And we, we've also deduced that neither one of us, not even put together, were doing anything remotely as cool as Ivar was in his early days. Right not. <laughs> But he's also has been known for playing keyboards and electronics. Uh, one band of note is Borknagar, the other one, Gorgoroth, which he yes. did on Incipit Satan. Mm -hmm. Also, did he do anything on Destroyer? I, I think he did. Um, but for the purposes of this little project, I focused on Incipit. But yeah, I, I do believe, I mean, Destroyer has like 19 players on it. It's, it's pretty difficult to, to piece out Destroyer. I, I so want that to be a Gaul album, but it's really just one song with Gaul, I believe, right? Yeah, the first one. And then, I, I don't know, man, Pest is pretty, uh, pretty menacing on that one. Yes, I, I think it's Pest Best, actually. Pest yeah, probably. Best. Pe pest at his best. Pest at his best. Yo, yo, it's a t-shirt. Pest, you are the best. <laughs> I'll put that on trucker caps and sell a truckload. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. They'll be like hotcakes. Fly it out of the store at radicalresearch.org. Buy cool stuff link. Yeah, all right. Um, so, okay. So we're listening to Inkipit Satan. We're hearing Ivar Bjornsson do his psychedelic shit. We love it. seemed like a really good place to start um he's he's in sort of at the ground floor um he's been in a, a bunch of different bands he he played a a pretty important role early on in Borknagar as well like jeff said obviously the linchpin and enslaved so yeah so one of his um his detours is adding keyboards and electronics to gorgoroth so he is um featured probably most prominently on Incipit Satan. Well, King of Hell, the, the bassist, also known as King, goes, he's got a lot of names. Yeah. 
I believe he is the king of West Hill. Um, I don't quote me on that, but um, oh, so I, not, not the entire domain. Oh no, 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 no. He did. There, there are several kings of hell. I, that's why you get the you get the F if you're the king of the entire hell. But with right with, with a portion of it, it's just O V of you get the V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Satan gets the F. You know, everybody, uh, everybody else gets the V. King of hell. Yes. So he joins Gorgoroth on Inkipit Satan as the bass player. He stays in the band for quite some time. Becomes quite a a crucial member. He does. Yes. He Well, yeah. And especially after all the fallout um, following Inkipit. The real Norwegian black metal soap opera. Fuck that other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 ask the world turns here. <laughs> this is pure uh, unadulterated days in the lo- days of the life or fucking, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Days of our, <laughs> days of our lives. Sure. Yeah. If you fuck with Gorgoroth, you wind up in the general hospital. The one with the hourglass. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. Anyway. My joint. That's my self yeah. jam. <laughs> All right. So King of Hell joins Gorgoroth on base. Yes. On, on, on Kibbit Satan uh, becomes a, a, yeah, like, like you said, a, a pretty important member. So, um, like most Norwegians, he is not content to play in one band. Hmm. So he um, is also playing in a pretty. I, I remember liking the first two um, uh, Sog records. So he's, he plays in this band called Sog. S A H G. Correct. Um, sort of a doomy rock. Would you call it that? Catchy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. Um... You know, yeah, Norwegian badass rock played by metal guys. I, I remember it landing on your playlist, you know, that we would trade back and forth via email and whatnot back in the day. And I, I, I never caught on to them. I listened to them just because of the personnel, but never didn't do anything for me. Do you still listen to them or? I, I didn't hang on to those records. There would be no crime in that, my friend. Yeah, I, I, at some point I'd like to maybe check out the first one again and just yeah. see how I feel. But um, yeah, they didn't really have staying power for me. Okay, so this, um, this guy, King of Hell, is in Sog. Okay, so one of the other guys in Sog is this guy named um, Einar Selvik, um, who also played in Gorgoroth, and he, he's in a band that's gotten um, to be rather well-known. They have this sort of ritualistic live show called Vardruna. Do you know them? I've definitely heard that name. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they they've kind of taken on a life of their own. Should I know um, them? Is that is that a what'd you say it was? I, it's kind of like kind of dead can dance adjacent, maybe. Oh wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's totally outside of black metal, but it's it's got an atmosphere that I think it's kind of like um, like dungeon scent would appeal to somebody that likes black metal, maybe. You know, that's very typical, this Einar Selvik of, you know, your, your let's just say, average uh, Norwegian musician, which I would believe is above average in other countries, just in terms of the stylistic spread, you know, kind of the way Carl Michael Ida has played in a huge variety of bands. Right. Um, it sounds like Selvik's even going even further if he's in something like Malice in Wonderland. Um, yes. And uh, Varjuna. 
I will have to investigate just to. Um, I, I would recommend um, YouTubing that some of their live clips. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think that's a big part of the appeal with them. Okay. okay. Um, but it, it's impressive to say cool. the least. So, what okay. Is, sorry, so, sorry. And what is Malice in Wonderland? A hard rock band. Um, they, they've got connections to some like really big, they're sort of like a, as I understand it, a Norwegian Finnish cooperative because they've got um, ties to him and 69 Eyes, who are two of the, the biggest rock bands in Finland. Both are 69 kind of, Eyes still around? I remember when they were doing their... Um, I, I have no idea. I don't even know if him's still around. I mean, they were... <laughs> They actually were pretty big over here. Oh, they were huge. Um, I used to see, yeah. like, I don't know, girls in their late teens wearing him shirts at grocery stores. Like I was like, when the first time I saw that, it was shocking. Then I started to realize you're seeing kids, you know, young, certainly that were younger than me, kind of into this thing. I was like, well, great, more power to them. I was never a fan, but like, what they're doing is cool and dark and confrontational. And I um, I definitely don't hate them. No, at all. No. Yeah, it's not a band um, you can hate. I I don't. I don't think, I mean, just, I just, I, I think also in the context of them getting big, like people wearing t-shirts, you know, and it's kind of like when you see something like Greta Van Fleet get huge, I am not a fan at all, but I support them. I like them objectively because they have guitars <laughs> for one. <laughs> uh, I like that they're turning younger kids on to guitar rock and really kind of epic sounding guitar rock, even though not to my taste, but you know, you know, you know where I'm going. Sure. Same thing. So, sure. so good on him. Good on Alice in Wonderland. Good on, um, yeah, 69 Eyes for getting kids into the fold. So ho hopefully they yeah. check out some old Kiss records. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. And, and other things. Well, of course. Um, yeah. So we bid farewell to Mr. Selvig and we're staying in Norway for a bit. Mr. Selvig was in Malice in Wonderland um, with a, a drummer um, whose uh, nom de plume was Ed Kelly, um, but whose actual name, and um, I welcome anyone from Norway or Scandinavia to um, correct me on this because I'm going to butcher it. That's Klaus Jensen's department. Yeah. He's going to. Okay, K K Klaus, you, ha <laughs> you have been activated. Um, it, uh, his name is Eskel um, Seiter, um, S, -A -E S A E T E R. I'm looking at that. I would say Eskel Seiter. Okay, I, like I said, maybe you know, I yeah, I I, I am just going to uh, assume my butchery. Sorry, like a skull album title. <laughs> assume my butchery. <laughs> Assumption, a butcheration. Oh Lord, you fucking kill me. <laughs> so you know what? Let's just go with Ed Kelly. Okay, because I, I got that shit. Yeah, Ed Kelly. So yeah. He, he played right, Ed <laughs> Kelly in Malice in Wonderland? Yes. He also played drums in a, a band called Lucky Lou. Um, L-E-W? L-E-W. I have um, never heard of this band. And it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a funny kind of European and even and Canadian phenomenon. Like the, the bands could be really, really huge on one continent. And, and be virtually unheard of in North America. You think about bands like um, like The Almighty or Disneyland After Dark. I, I don't know. I'm just pulling. Um, I hear you. I'm just, yeah, I'm just pulling shit out of my Therapy. ass. But like, 
therapy? Yeah, ther- th- yeah, exactly. Do we, do, do we say that? Hold on. Do we say that therapy? Th- therapy? 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 Yeah. You, I actually, you like that I actually, therapy? I actually own a couple of therapy records. Therapy I was records? asking you if I like therapy. No, I'm just telling you. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, like, uh, like Tea Party. Huge, mm-hmm. You know, huge mm-hmm. in Canada. Like, God's in Canada. Nobody yeah. down here knows. So, Lucky Lou is one of those kinds of bands that, that enjoyed great success abroad, never really caught on over here. However, oddly, we are going to be leaving Norway and traveling to these shores. Hold on. I just need to find out one thing from you. Yes. What does Lucky Lou sound like, and do you, are, are you a fan? I'm not a fan. Um, they play just kind of commercial rock. They've got a, a, a very good female vocalist. Um, Sounds lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that, not, not a lot of risks being taken by Lucky Lou. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you can well, – You're radical research. We wish them very well. We, we, we wish you all the best, Lucky Lou, but uh, we are not fans. <laughs> but um, in 2010, um, they recorded an album called Beauty and Aggression. And they flew over to America to record it with Sylvia Massey, wow. um, who's done a million things. She's probably I, – I, I came to know about her via Tool's Undertow. Yeah, um, okay. But she's done 100,000 things, like, you know, like one of the great producers of the, the 90s. And, yeah, um, yeah. And, I mean, I, I know the name just from seeing it kind of everywhere over the years or you run into it enough that it, it, you, know, you recognize it she, she kind of sets up shop at different places like in the mid 90s um she was basically kind of the managing director of sound city in um in la okay um you know the story have you ever seen the sound city documentary no, I know about it's, that, but no, I, I haven't seen it. it, it you wouldn't like most. I, I don't. I mean, I, I di- actively dislike most of the stuff that was recorded there, but it's it's worth checking out. It's well done, um, and I mean, it, it's just a really really gorgeous sounding studio. Anyway, she um, she took up residence there for a while, but this is a little bit later in her career, 2010, and she records this album for Lucky Lou called Beauty and Aggression. I think it charted norway did pretty well over there um i had a couple of hit singles obviously didn't make any waves uh stateside so we're gonna stay stateside in fact um we're gonna bid farewell now to ed kelly (laughs) who we also wish the best so uh, among the many many things that sylvia massey has done over the years she she really got her her sea legs as an engineer before she was you know able to to get enough confidence and and inspire enough confidence in bands to uh, to be allowed to produce and one of the things that she engineered was Exodus's Pleasures of the Flesh that sounds weird already that's that's wild isn't it i didn't realize that i mean i i've heard her name and i've known pleasures forever it's it's kind of my it's my other Exodus album. I, you know, Bonded by Blood is the only one for me, but I like Pleasures enough that I always keep it. Great leads. Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot of great stuff about it. Um, yeah. So Sylvia Massey, I guess maybe early in her career, engineered this. She's right on the back. She's listed right on the back cover. Right. 
<laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And who produced that, by the way? Mark Senesak. Hmm. I don't even know him. Recorded and mixed at Alpha Omega, San Francisco. Mastered by Bernie Grunman. That's pretty pro. Yeah. Okay. So Sylvia Massey, we're, we're, we're getting back into metal here. I we are. Yeah. Okay. We are. Clever. So, yeah. You clever dog. <laughs> This is obviously widely known. Kirk Hammett uh, was one of the founding members of Exodus um, before he was uh, seduced away after the exodus of Dave Mustaine from Metallica. <laughs> uh, nice. Um, wow. Clever. <laughs> cleverness in the air tonight. And so, yeah, so, and it, obviously he... Uh, he spent the rest of his career in Metallica. I don't know if Metallica is still an active band. If it is, he's still in it. Um, but, yeah, I, shit, I don't know. I mean, you would have heard if they'd broken up. I mean, <laughs> I can guarantee I, it. I, I couldn't care less one way or the other. <laughs> so you're probably right, though. But I mean, like, how useful are they? I mean, they could just now, not. Now, not, just, not very. But no. they could just not break up ever. They could just like die. And then they never broke up. Yeah, I, you know I, I mean? wish like, I wish that I wish that they had broken up after Jason left, because not that's not I, I love Jason. I have a lot of good things to say about Jason. I'm saying that more because it seems like a complete evolution, and then they just didn't know what to do. I, I and I think they've been searching ever since. I really don't think their hearts are 100, percent and that's a terrible thing to say. But I'm a fan since '83, early '84. I will say it. That's my sure. opinion. Ah, I, I share that opinion. Yeah. I have not been a fan that long. I've been a fan since uh, 88, 89. But well, I'm not even the biggest fan of load and reload, but I've come to look at them with the lens of hindsight, and uh, I understand them. I think that they were absolutely genuine. Um, in well, that, that's the thing. I, I don't like those records at all, but I think their hearts were in those records. For sure. I, there's a few songs here and there. It would have been a good, long mini album for me if I combined those two. <laughs> But, but yeah, I just think that there's a, there's a very genuine delivery and, and intent on all of that. Uh, and after that, I, I don't believe so at all. I, I, it's rather empty gestures for me. So let's get back to Kirk Hammett, though. Uh, okay. We love classic Metallica, of course, because it's fucking amazing. Some of the best metal of all time. I was thinking that when I read this this morning that maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. I, I was like, is that how you do the degrees? But then I'm like, okay, he was definitely an exodus. He had nothing to do with Pleasures of the Flesh. But on that album, there are two songs that are co-written with their ex-singer, Paul Bailoff. Bailoff. Deeds of Hate and um, Pleasures of the Flesh itself, the song. And those go back with Exodus for a little, a little ways, or, yep. um, at least to when Paul was still in the band. So I'm like, okay, I'm on board. I'm completely. Now we're, now we're cooking with Chris. Now we're cooking yeah. with Kirk. Yeah. Cooking with Kirk. We're cooking with Kirk. <laughs> Shut the front door. 
about to take a bus into sound town. <laughs> My palm mute muscles. <laughs> on the clam, on the shell. All right. All right. Anywho. Uh, did we work a Guy Fieri joke in like every episode now? We, pr- we should probably not. We're losing I, listeners by the bushel. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we've been we've been working that that angle. We we hard. even um the the unsigned bands episode, <laughs> we borrowed sort of uh or paraphrased one of his sayings for the title. So anyhow. It's just so Kirk, Kirk Kirk Hammett, cooking with Kirk. Wow. Tell us about the next step. This is fantastic. Okay. So Kirk tied to Exodus, tied to pleasures of the flesh in a way, goes on to Metallica. So 1991 rolls around Metallica releases what's probably like the biggest rock album in the world at the time. Uh, their self-titled black album, right? Bigger than use your illusion took Nirvana quite a, I don't know that Nirvana ever caught up to that album in terms of sales. That's a good I mean, it's, it's really like one of the biggest rock albums of all time. Yes. So and it happen, happens to be a metal album. I would definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's a metal record. Of course. For sure. So Metallica is at the peak of their fame. They're invited to play the MTV Video Music Awards, which is sort of a, a, a sanctified invitation at that point. Sure. Um, that night in September 1991, I believe it was September 5th, they share the stage with Mariah Carey, of all people. The, so Mariah the, Carey is our penultimate degree of separation. Indeed, that, she is. That's, how did we get here? I'm looking around. Like, I ask myself that every morning when I look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me, let me tell you this. When I gave you this assignment, I didn't think that we were going to get to Mariah Carey. This is this is blowing my mind. So now that I know what the end point is, yeah, okay. how does this work? So, <laughs> I don't think anyone, including us, ever thought that Mariah Carey would be a part of radical research. She, she, she will be a short-lived part of Radical Research. We're going to avoid playing a but, snippet just on the off chance that even yeah. under podcast review rules, we, we might get sued. So just, uh, you know, no, no Mariah Carey demos from the, from the brutal era. Oh, dude, dude, man, that first demo is grinding. Inhumane. Oh, man, just punishing. <laughs> We're in 54 so, episodes to do that. <laughs> to talk about the the carry demos, the carry demos. Oh, dude, sick! <laughs> I got to, I got rehearsals of the demos, and those. Oh are, man, those are feral. Those are just <laughs> feral. They go for about three thousand dollars on Discogs. I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe we could um, we could do like a 
like a sub agreement and sell those through the web store. Blurry, blurry Xerox J cards. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, dude, the, the, the Polish boots are, are the <laughs> gnarliest man. Well, she did that split with master's hammer. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, for me, it's really all about the, the Verathron split. Verathron Mariah Carey split. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I love the Masters Hammer split, but there's just there's just something about like where you know New Jersey meets Greece. It's I'm gonna just, risk lawsuit and do a 30 second mashup of Verathron. And Mariah I don't. Carey. I don't even know if she's from New Jersey. I have no idea, and I, I apologize. I don't think um, she's really even human. I think she was beamed down, sort of by by some race, some alien race. Anyhow, let, let's, anyway, let's not lose okay, this. So, we're we're right, almost right, at the right, end. Right, we, just, we brought them this far. Now they're just yeah, jumping off. Just, just stick with us, guys. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Metallica shares the stage with Mariah Carey. Okay. So Jeff said early on that the, the one requirement of this assignment for me was we got to start in Norway. We got to end in Norway. And guess what, folks? We're going to end in Norway. So we started with Ivar Bjornsson and Enslaved. Okay. We're, we're at Mariah Carey at the 91 VMAs, okay? Well, here's, here's the kicker. So we talked about TNT a little bit earlier. We talked about Morty Black. Morty Black actually played session bass for Mariah Carey. And I believe even did some live work with her in Europe. Oh, wow. That, now that's, yep. you know, session works one thing, because I think a, a, a bassist of his stature and experience, the, um, you know, a studio is a studio, and I think, yes, the pressure's on. But I think to play in front of those kinds of crowds, and again, he's no stranger to big crowds. They, they did really well in Europe, but that's just so fucking upper level. I mean... So here, here's the verbiage, is that he recorded and played with Mariah Carey. So the way I understand that is that he was on the session and that he played with her live. When you say recorded with Mariah Carey, it's just recorded. When you say recorded and played i think there's a separation there that whoever wrote i do too trying, trying to say yeah uh recording and live sure okay i agree so fun to, well for sure we know that that's part of his cv so that's all we need to know to get to the end but um jing nice one that was fucking amazing uh <laughs> and, and, and you know i like that it ended up with morty from tnt um one of our favorite bands you and i have talked a lot of tnt over the years and they we continue to listen to them yep. a lot and uh that's fantastic. You know, and you know, it's what's funny about Morty is like as big a TNT fans as we are, I don't think we've ever, our ears ever, and this is no disrespect to him, but our ears never go to Morty. Like I don't have no. a favorite TNT bass line, for instance. I have a shitload of favorite I, songs, vocal moments, guitar moments, even some drum moments. But yeah, he's, he's kind of, I, I guess he's, do you think in TNT is just a little bit overshadowed by Ronnie Latecro and Tony Harnell? I mean, I think so, but you know, like I was saying to you earlier, I, I think maybe it's sort of an indication of his discipline as a session player um, that he's willing to subordinate himself. So, you know, sure. it's like, I'm just going to do the job, man. I'm going to make this music, you know, I'm going to support it as well as I can. He's definitely solid. I've never thought, God, I wish they'd get rid of this guy. He's kind of the, he's kind of the Ian Hill of TNT in a way. Sure. So fucking sure. reliable. I mean, a, a, a total workhorse. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. 
Good job, man. I, I hope every everybody's clapping for you and standing up right now at home. <laughs> that was fantastic. It was fun. Yeah. Just a weird idea I had, and I'm glad you ran with it, and I'm glad I didn't see it till this morning. It's a nice – and I tried not to think about it too much be- until about 15 minutes before we recorded. Now, <laughs> what happened was I actually – I don't know why. I'm not, I wasn't trying to one-up you, and you win because I'm going to tell you, even though my uh, little degrees of separation response to yours – is cool. It, you win because you just really strove to get Evar and Morty linked and to go outside and to get <laughs> Kirk Hammett and Mariah Carey. A lot of people, they don't pick up their phones for a lot of people, but they pick them up for radical research. So we thank Kirk. We thank Mariah for talking. Thanks to guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to catch up. Really, it really was. Go yeah. back. We go back a long way, you know, traded tapes with Mariah back in the day. She sent me some um, slaying Alanis Morissette at one point. So, oh, nice, man. Yeah, yeah, early, early stuff. But no, I did something similar. I thought, well, why don't I try to get to another bass player in TNT back to Evar in, in fewer steps? And I did. But I was kind of cheating just in the sense that I have this weird knowledge that um, Victor Borges, or Borges, I don't know how you say it, was a bassist in TNT in their later years. I think when, um, what's that guy from Shy who fronted them for, for a while? Tony, he may have passed already. What's his name? Tony Mills? Yeah, 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 that's it. May he rest in peace. Victor was a bassist in TNT at that time, though. And he weirdly, I, I came across this in Metal Archives about five years ago. He was in two black metal bands, one called Tullus and one called Cold. I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. of both. Yep. Yeah. So that always struck me as strange. You look at him, you're like, really? But, but this is legit. So I started with him. Victor Borges played in Tullus. And Tullus, at another point, had a guy that played bass in Winds with Hellhammer. So... <laughs> I know that's a stretch, but I'm going with it. Hellhammer played with Carl Tideman in Arcturus. Arcturus had Garm on vocals for several years in key albums. Garm sang in Borknagar on the first two albums, both of which feature. Ding, 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 ding. Ivar Bjornsson. So there you go. Nice. That's four nice. degrees. But a little. It was well a little done. So. Well done. No, no, no. It's excellent. Because Morty Black, you didn't get there because Morty Black had any black metal affiliation. I think that's the difficult part mm. well uh, he should have some black metal affiliation i mean with that with that, with that damn like na- that. that name of his the surname yeah. like that. <laughs> well thanks for listening to this part of the episode we have more so don't go away but again nice job hunter really fun thank you sir so uh i had this weird idea like in our sort of mini hiatus that we just had for a couple couple weeks I'm doing some more point fives. You can look back on, uh, at radicalresearch.org, look at the episodes and see that we've done kind of some smaller episodes. They're not for the faint of heart. They're only for the real, you know, true diehard radical research fan who can't get enough. <laughs> and apparently there's a few of those out there, but they're just fun little short five minute, 10 minute things. And I thought this drummer, Yuli Kush, has done a lot of interesting stuff. And I'm also thinking that while listening to some of, his, some of his stuff in Holy Moses, and I'm also thinking that because I'm really getting tired of the anniversary overload of every fucking album that ever came out in history is now being like posted by somebody on Instagram with their four versions of it because um, it's got like a 37th birthday. Like, I think that's fine. I think it's cool if you're into that and uh, that's how you like to celebrate an album. But 
for me, the release date is so not interesting. I think it's, it's more interesting, like when it was recorded, like when was the gestation period and when did it come into being? And when right. was the final moment in the studio where they were like, this is, this is now in the world. This is a, a complete work of art. That's the date I want, but that's a very more, that's a much more difficult date to, uh, you know, to get to. And, and uh, sure. who really cares? You know, it's just, it's anniversary overload. So I would rather just celebrate albums because we love them and um, really no other uh, motive behind it than that. And I thought of Yuli Kush and I thought, well, I want to celebrate him in some way, but he's, he's somewhat obscure in, 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 in a sense. Would that mean like we could only do that if he's dead? You know, <laughs> we got to celebrate people while they're living. I mean, we, you and I have always listened to Rush and Neil Peart, but, um, and it's a great reason to listen to them again when, when somebody like that passes. But I'm like, let's celebrate people while they're alive. Let's celebrate bands while they're still going. Let's celebrate albums because we just want to listen to them. So sure. I know I'm on a bit of a soapbox, but I'm just trying to explain my thought process with like, yeah, let's look at Uli Kush for about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was really thrust to the forefront of my mind and as something to do because I've just been overdosing on an album that he was on in 87 by the band, Holy Moses album called finish with the dogs. It's something I've loved since about, I think I got into it a couple of years after it came out like 89, but it's fucking phenomenal. And uh, he's on it. And he went on to greater fame with Halloween. Uh, he played one song with Mekong Delta and he played on gamma rays sign no more which is an album you like a lot that I've tried Ooh, I, times to get into. I love it. What if I can't handle Ralph Sheepers? That's a problem. <laughs> I mean, dude, his hair alone. <laughs> this is maybe, am I listening with my eyes? <laughs> you, you got to. <laughs> you, you got to give yourself to the hair. Talk to us real like, quick about, about Sign No More since Uli's on it. Um, you know, it's hard for me like to talk about that album with much objectivity it's it's the first melodic metal record that i ever got into oh wow um i mean like ever i guess that would that might change and, uh, your perspective yeah and it led me into like i remember that summer getting transcendence i got um uh, viper's theater of fate god i got into fate's warning that summer interesting um, yeah, just yeah. a a lot, lot of different things, but like Sino Moore was sort of the catalyst for all that. Hmm. Um, it, it's a really eclectic record. Like listening to it now, it, it, it's almost impossible to call it like a power metal record. No, I, I think it, the it, first two Gamma Ray did more. They were trying to do more anyway. I think the first one's pretty eclectic as well. I, don't, I wouldn't always say successful, but eclectic, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, they definitely streamlined a little more on Insanity and Genius, which I also totally love. Yeah. I happen to really like Ralph's voice back then. Cool. No, I didn't, um, you know, yeah. It's just a taste. Thing. And, and Yuli, I mean, Yuli is fantastic on Sign No More. Aha. Uh -huh. okay. um, creative, you know, I mean, very technically sound, but like very musical, um, really kind of thinking outside the box. Yeah, he and yeah. he and Roland Grappau left Halloween at the same time and formed Master Plan. I'm pretty sure that's the deal too. So that's another band he was in for a time. Yeah, he's he's a great drummer, man, and he he always has been. And that was my thinking when I was just going through Finish with the Dogs. I was like, fuck, this guy is. I, I call him underrated. I think the things we're going to listen to just a few snippets tonight uh, as we end this thing are just going to skim the surface, I guess, of his talent. But I, it's it's an interesting spread. So let's start with Mekong Delta. He recorded a song called The Gnome with them in 87. I think it was 87 or 88. And 
this is the only song he recorded with Mekong Delta. And he had a pseudonym, uh, as you do in Mekong Delta. I think it was Patrick Duvall or Patrick, something like that. This is a song called The Gnome by Russian composer Mussorgsky. And uh, some of you may recall hearing the entire episode about Mekong Delta. We didn't play this one. So this will be a trip back to early Mekong Delta with Uli Kush on drums. It's a couple minutes of their cover, I guess we'd say, of The Gnome. research the like 87 to 94 that gets near and dearer to me all the time interesting yeah um i, I love the first phase of mekong delta very much as well and and Man. they do age well yeah i i've especially been impressed with the earliest stuff like the first three i guess because they they sharpened up and got a little bit more technical and adventurous i guess on the next several but um yeah pr principle of doubt is freaking great even the first one though because that's the yeah yeah i agree one it comes from more of a thrash background and and that you know that's their root that's their foundation and i just love the intensity of that one there's a so there are some really intense moments like pe people don't think of them as a really blazingly intense band but i i think they i think they get there quite a bit on the on the self-titled yeah so we hear the gnome and that's that's actually one of the earliest covers uh, you know or you know, versions of a classical piece that we hear them do. Of course, they made that part of their trademark. And we hear Uli right along with the band doing some really interesting syncopation, some kind of unexpected things, a lot of starts and stops, a lot of pauses, kind of using silence as part of the music. And uh -huh. I suppose that was written into you know, the original composition. Cool stuff anyway. For sure. And then in 87 or 88, he did another album with a band called Holy Moses. We're going to end this episode with something from that. 
But I want to skip ahead about 11 years. And he had at some point joined Halloween, I guess not even 11 years. It was more, when did they come back with uh, Andy Darris? Like 94, 95? 94 with, um, was it the Lord of the Rings? Or no, no, no. It was, it was time, Master of the Rings. Or time of the, was Time of the Oath before that? Time or? of the Oath was after Master of the Rings. Okay, yeah. So Master of the Rings was 94. Right. Uh, yeah. Master of the Rings. And then Time of the Oath, I thought, was much better than Master. And then... They got even better. I, I think both you and I, in terms of the Andy Darris era, I think you and I hold up better than Raw as the best one. I, I don't know anybody who, who's a fan of the Darris era who doesn't think <laughs> that. I mean, really, I think there's just a consensus. It's, it's kind of weird because the Halloween of old is more near and dear to me than the Darris stuff. But there's a lot of Darris stuff that's great. And it's just a I little agree. bit of a different Halloween. But it's still Halloween. I mean... There's that song in Rabbit Don't Come Easy called The Tune that I've always obsessed over. Um, doesn't get a lot of love from a lot of people. But to me, it's quintessential Halloween. Like they find it every now and then. But then they go off in some different directions. And that's why I'm talking about that because that's what Revelation does, the song from Better Than Raw um, that Uli Kush wrote the music for and, of course, also plays on. This is a, a more proggy Halloween. It's kind of the prog that they um, hinted at. Let's check it out and talk about it a little bit after we get back.
So there's more to that song too. And uh, it's an eight minute epic and uh, Uli wrote it. I love that a drummer writes a song like that. Yeah. You know, drummers can really surprise you sometimes. Like some of the most interesting, like anathema stuff, John Douglas had a hand in. You think about like what Matt Cameron did and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. You know, it's just, it's, I guess it's written from a different perspective. I think that you can definitely tell that um, that Uli had uh, gotten himself a copy of Destroy, Race, and Prove um, before he wrote that song. Just the syncopation. The mathematical, um, because, yeah. Yeah, because nobody was really doing anything quite like that before Thomas Hocka. And, I mean, it would be impossible not to be influenced by or in, inspired by Haka at that point, you know? Uh, sure. Yeah. And it falls right in the drummer. timeline, 98. I mean, that's right yeah. at uh, a certain peak for them in terms of, I think that was their first wave of, of big recognition. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's uh that's some of what Yuli brought to Halloween. There's a lot more. Those are some great albums that he's on. You know, you mentioned that thing about like what Halloween fan doesn't like better than raw more than the other Andy Darris albums. I was looking on metal archives as that was playing. And, um, I know that's not a survey or a scientific survey of, uh, <laughs> of the crowd, but it, you know, there's, there's a lot of great reviews and a lot of great people that um, contribute to that site, but there's one album from the Darius era that's rated higher. Can you guess which one? Is it gambling with the devil? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not as good as better than raw. I got off with them at the keeper part three or legacy album, whatever the fuck that was, that double mm. thing. Mm-mm. I mean, even mm-hmm. Don't Come Easy has some crap, but there's, a, there's stuff on there I love, and I would never get rid of it. I like The Dark Ride more than most people. I probably do too, actually. And Time of the Oath is great, but better than Raw, man. Forget about it. That's yep. the best. So we're going to close out going back to 1987 and a band Uli was in at that time called Holy Moses. Fair to call them a thrash band, but that's just easy definition stuff. Because I've always felt that Holy Moses, at their best anyway, in this short period of time, like the late 80s, um, did some really interesting things. And the Finish With The Dogs album is their second. And this, no doubt, has some of the greatest female metal vocals of all time. I, I would put it up there at, like, top two. In fact, I can't even know who would I vote higher than this. I mean, this is She kind of, like, reminds me of Keith Dean in a way. Yes. With, with all that she does. Yes. Yes. I, I would agree with that because she brings in a kind of heavy metal sensibility. She's creative. Um, she's expressive and she's really intense and the control is there. And that's all Keith Dean as well. Totally. Um, she never got the chance. I don't think with the music to go as far as Keith went, but I, I think Keith was even more imaginative. She's intense though. Listen to this. And this is Uli Kush on drums. We're going to play the whole fucking thing. This is a song called Current of Death from Finish With The Dogs from 1987. We're just going to go out with this and thank you for listening. Uh, visit RadicalResearch.org for uh, all episodes. Cool stuff to buy. Uh, you can even buy Canvas Solaris CDs. And uh, we're going to come back soon with episode 55 on Hammers of Misfortune. Let's just let Current of Death do what it does. Oh!